You are now tuned in to Saved and Woke. Yes, I am. What up, everybody? It's your boy, MSW. That's Mr. Saved and Woke, also known as Juan Enrique Tusei here with another edition of Saved and Woke. All right. So on today's episode, we will be continuing and yes, finishing the Why the Racial Wealth Gap Exists white panel done by Anthony O'Neill. I'm really excited to, to get into that because... One, I'm just surprised that we were able to get through it in just one more, one additional sitting. And oddly enough, I'm really excited for you all to hear the afterthoughts next week on this conversation because unlike I have for the majority of this season, I actually was taking notes as I was editing this conversation to really, really be able to address everything or at least most things that I had an issue with or to just bring to light and highlight some really, really important deficiencies in what people were saying in regards to why the wealth gap exists. But before we actually get into that, I know what's probably top of mind for everybody is the aftermath of the siege on the terrorist attack on, on the Capitol. One thing I really appreciate about uh, my pastor is that he's not afraid to address current events, particularly those pertaining to social justice. And this past Sunday, he, you know, he, he made an address specifically in addition to our normal message. And he was just talking about he, ex- he went through, you know, the biblical response to things like this. And f- actually, first, what he did was, which I really appreciate, it was just basically said that what happened was wrong. That this is in, in no way godly Christian behavior. It's criminal terrorist act. Boom. And then he went on to say that, you know, regardless of your political affiliation, your our reaction as believers to anything should be fueled by and based in the gospel and come from 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 godly love compassion um, but also boldness to stand for for what is for what is right and i i don't have anything else to to say about that but when i was watching i was watching it was live on youtube and then somebody left this comment and i want to talk about it because i think there's a lot of people who think like this and i'm pretty sure y'all have seen people make statements like this so this person who has what is undoubtedly a fake name so that they can't be tracked or identified says this is nothing but this being the attack on the capitol this is nothing compared to black lives matter and antifa's burning looting and killing hundreds for eight months biased media praising dims while opposing republicans okay so there's a couple things wrong with this first no uh, during the protests in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, no one, like hundreds of people did not die. And the, yeah. And, and regardless of how you feel about the protests, and I know a lot of the protests did devolve in, 
into riots and looting, which I don't agree with. I don't condone, but I understand it. I understand you like what Dr. King said that rioting and looting is the language of the unheard. And I think what we have to do is when, when people are protesting is to address why they're protesting. Like black Black Lives Matter protests happen when people when unarmed black people are killed by the police, which is unjust. When they're killed by the police and when nothing is done about it, when the police are not held accountable. That's why we protest, because life is being taken and sanctioned and that and that murder is being sanctioned by the government pretty much by not holding officers accountable or not doing enough, just like putting them on, letting them go off on administrative leave, which is basically vacation. All right. So it's, it's not the same. And so, uh, so like I said, we, we had to think about what, what the Black Lives Matter protests were about. And so what, what, what was this quote unquote protest about? All right. It was about people who were disputing the fact that this election was actually fair, conducted fair, fairly and lawfully, which they cannot prove. All right. There's no evidence that suggests that there was widespread fraud. There have been a couple instances of fraud. I remember someone in Pennsylvania uh, or someone was uh, some some Republican was uh, sent out a challenge. Like, look, if you can give me send me evidence of voter fraud, I'll give you a million dollars. And someone in Pennsylvania found some evidence of voter fraud. Only thing was, though, that there was three instances of voter fraud. So that even in those three instances, not widespread, but in those three instances, it was somebody com committing voter fraud to get extra votes for for Donald Trump. Right. So there's no evidence of voter fraud and definitely no evidence of a conspiracy by Democrats, the left, whatever you want to call them, to rig the vote, the presidential vote for 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 joseph biden so it's like that this protest the one or the, this this terrorist attack was based off of a baseless claim of a fraudulent election whereas black lives matter protests are in response to the murder of black people the loss of actual life which is documented on on video like we we know that it happened people see it people admit that it happened and the other thing is that <laughs> this is definitely not a Christian. The Christian response to to someone else's sin is not to go and do that same thing, but for the quote unquote right reasons. This person's like, "Well, this is nothing. Like, you can't just like you you <laughs> you can't go to God and be like, well, God, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know this is technically wrong, but." You know, this is nothing compared to what all those other people were doing. And we we're doing it for the right reasons. That's not how it works. That's not the biblical response to that. All right. Uh, we have to, like, like my pastor was saying, uh, conduct ourselves as citizens of the, as the kingdom of heaven. And we're not, we're not supposed to knowingly, willfully break, break the law. So with that said, I'm going to get into this video. Uh, I think we left off where uh, the guy that I refer to as Blue Shirt, who has been the main one talking the most and, and saying the most problematic stuff. He's been talking about how he had to push through the 
mental conditioning that he inherited from his father and that's the real problem that everybody has to get to and he's really and what that's what that's what black people really have to do i have a lot of issues with that for for many reasons but we're just going to go ahead and get into the rest of the, the episode like i said you need to check out the afterthoughts because that's when i go in and really really dissect a lot of what he was saying in this episode i do a, me and shannon we do a pretty good job but again you know it was you know off the cuff as we were listening these afterthoughts next week they're going to delve a little deeper into a lot of the just the fallacies of his argument but without further ado enjoy all right here we go absolutely going to look for safety and look for what it is we do what we are we do what we are and we don't do what we are what we're not mm -hmm. so we have to look at what is coded on my brain as identity who am i so a squirrel is going to do squirrel things mm -hmm. Alligator is going to do alligator things. You stick your hand in there, it's going to chomp it off, you know. Mm -hmm. Not because he's having a bad day or that he's low on the totem pole. He's, a, he's an alligator. That's what he does. So I have my job in life is to figure out who am I, what is coded on my brain, and then to rewrite those because it's limitations. I have limitations. Mm -hmm. I make X amount of money versus X amount of money. Mm -hmm. So there is a ceiling there that I have to bust through. And we all have that work to do. So behavior and belief, I think are even more powerful. I'm gonna say far more powerful than any leg up that somebody has or any privilege that someone has. And uh, I wish that I could take an hour to explain all the reasons why, mm -hmm. but I know this to be true. And I work with hundreds and hundreds of people that, you know, we're busting through stuff. We're busting through it. And it's belief. Mm -hmm. Everyone's looking for something to happen so that I can believe something different. So are you? Okay. I knew I said I wasn't going to pause it. But he brought up something that I don't think I got to. I think I just forgot to mention or respond to in our first conversation. And it was when he said that he said he says it's all about belief and you've got to you know rewrite it and i was like well i mean let's just say that you know what you know what you're right let, let let's concede the fact that belief and what you think about yourself is more powerful than than um macro level forces beyond your control influencing not just your life but your parents are bringing your parents parents are bringing and the entire context of your whole entire family your community let's just say it is all about personal stuff so and all about your belief um what he doesn't even acknowledge is that even if that's the case i feel like black people in particular and people of color are more likely than not to be brought up in context where their belief is wired in a way that keeps them in a vicious cycle to keep it simple a vicious cycle that keeps you from thinking hmm hmm let me let me let me let me rewrite my let me rewrite my my coding and a lot of people they're just in 
survival mode. Like when you're in survival mode, I think I did mention this last time, but you, you're, you're not thinking of the future. You're not, you, you, you don't have the luxury. You don't have the privilege of being able to sit and, and reprogram yourself. And the, the, the one thing that he said that I, that is very problematic. I don't, I, I don't think anybody in here, whether before, I think these people have established themselves. They, they're presenting themselves as pretty, you know, nice and what well, not well to do, but well-meaning uh, white folks. And so even if they say something that I think is problematic, it's not like me blaming them. Like I think they're evil for saying it. I'm just going to call out, Hey, this is the issue with that. And one thing he said, when he, when he said that, so he, he talked about programming. He said, this is work that we all have to do. So when you say that, I mean, he, he pretty much said this already, but when you, when people say, oh, you know, yeah, you know, yes, I know. I understand that you're, you're going through X, Y, and Z. And then they try to kind of, they try to slyly, they, they go from acknowledging your suffering or not acknowledging your unique experience and then try to establish some sort of common ground. But a lot of times they try to use that common ground to then sideways, but really say, your experience is not unique and you just need to get over it. And that's pretty much what he said. He was like, this, when, when, when people say stuff like, oh, this is work that we all have to do. They're like, yeah, I mean, life's tough. I understand that you had this really hard upbringing. I said, but this is work that, you know, we all have to do. So the, that's basically like saying a oh, black people's experience is not, is not unique in a way that has nothing to do with them. It's just part of the human experience. And there's no point in changing, trying to, trying to change the overall human experience because that's just it. That's just a part of life. And when you start talking like that, then there's no reason to change policy. There's no reason to, to advocate. There's no reason to, to protest and to rally for social justice because it's just part of your experience is just one facet of the human experience that we all go through in some, way, some form or fashion. Yeah. No, I got, yeah, I, I got nothing on that one. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll save mine to, as, as we go forward, but no, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I agree there. Just, it's like, just overlooking it and being like, oh, you know, you'll make it yeah. through grit. <laughs> and, and I definitely have my issues with that and we can get into that a little bit later. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might need to, yo, there was a, there was a Ted talk that I watched in, in, in my master's program where it was a Ted talk about grit and, Oh, I hated it. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we, I think we talked for the rest of the class, which is like three hours about why we didn't like that video. And I think people could, I think, yeah, that, that might be a useful one for us to do something similar to this. Um, but one thing I will know, so, so to podcast listeners, y'all can't see this video. I mean, there's a link to it in the description. Maybe I can watch along as we, as we, as we're watching it. But one thing I do like about what this guy is saying is not necessarily what he's saying, but is that the people at the table look very uncomfortable as he's saying it. So I'm like, okay, that's promising. So I guess we'll, we'll see what they have to say in response. Hold, hold on. Okay. Everyone is looking. <laughs> Still going. Everyone is looking for something to happen so that I can believe something different. But the truth is I have to believe something before I'm going to get a different outcome, before something new will happen. And that's the deal. Belief is so strong. It's stronger than we give it credit for. 
Ooh, that's a rough one, Chad. I know you're giving me some gas over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I see where you're coming from, and I guess I got to ask this question, and just, I was going to be real. Are you saying that a part of the reason of the wealth gap mm-hmm. is because African Americans, black people, we don't believe we can be there? I hate to say it. Say it. Well, I hate to say it. I don't like saying it, but yes. Why don't you like, how come, how come you don't like saying it? I don't like saying it because I don't want to offend anybody out uh, there okay, who okay. doesn't know that they don't, that they believe X, mm. that they don't yet see their limitation. That is internal. It's internal. Mm. Listen, when you're blind to your own limitation, when I was blind to my own limitation, I would argue for my limitation. You know, so there will be some people out there who will hear this mm-hmm. and they will not understand mm-hmm. it and they'll be highly offended. And I get that. Mm-hmm. And also, I know the brain. Mm-hmm. I know it. And I know that whatever is written on my brain as I can have this, I can be this, I can do this, I can't go there, I can go there, I'm safe in this context and I'm unsafe out of this context. That is individual to me. No one else. No one else gets to say that. That's an internal conversation that I'm having with myself. Who wrote that on your brain? I was about to say, where does the belief well, come from? Well, let's talk about that. Yes. I mean, we well, could really, really yes, talk please about talk that. I'm a brain science guy, too. So I, my initial disagreement is you can't do anything unless you believe it, right? But I'll put that aside. I want to, like, where do you think those beliefs that are coded in your brain, where do those come from? Well, let me ask you guys, and I'll, I'll back clean up. Where do you think they come from? Environment. I was about to say, if that's true, then my first thought would be systemic racism has created this environment. To quote Brene Brown, uh, <laughs> yes. ge- genetics blows like the gun that. and environment pulls the trigger. Yes. So it is both. Right. It is both. And they're recursive, right? Right. And so they impact each other. And genes aren't static, so they're constantly being re-expressed, right? Right. Right. Yes, 100%. So some of it we're born with, and some of it, you know, is environment and experience. But not just our experience, but previous generations, previous generations, you know, sharing their experience. And and that happened to me. I'm not even talking about black people. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about my white parents shared their sad story with me and shared their limitation with me. My father was an orphan. He was on the streets at 14. So he has a sad story and he passed a lot of that to me and it created a ceiling for me. And I had to bust through that ceiling because I identified with the story I knew. And I... Yep. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I have something I want to say, but I talked the longest last time, so I'm going to let you go ahead, Shannon. Yeah, so a couple things come to mind here. Um, one, yeah, the the whole thing he mentions, like the belief and, and and everything like that. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, I get it. You gotta you gotta believe and and this and that. Um, but it's like at the same time when there are obstacles in your way, or um, and and so I think a lot of times, even when we mention obstacles, we mention, oh, this is something in your way that, that's making it tough for you to get there. Uh, but we don't really account for the thing that you're on your way there and something pulls you back or, you know, or knocks you back. So, you know, so it's not even just getting over that hump, it's getting over that hump and putting distance between you and that hump. Uh, 
And that's one of the things that, like I said, we don't really mention because one, uh, something came to mind was, you know, do we think the people in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921, did they believe that they could not own their own banks and become like financially stable on, uh, you know, on their owns? They wholeheartedly believed they could. In fact, they did. And then what happened? Uh, you know, they, they believed it, they achieved it. Uh, and I mean, they were on their way to making it even, you know, even bigger. Uh, and I'm mentioning this, this is, you know, what we call Black Wall Street. Uh, and forces, forces being racist, you know, racist white people uh, during that time, um, were unhappy with this and destroyed the things that they had built. So their, so their beliefs came to fruition. They created, they were doing the things but something came back and, you know, and destroyed it. So that's just Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like there are many, many other examples of, of people that are like, they truly believe they can achieve this thing. They're on their way to achieving it or maybe even have achieved it. And there's, and there can be a force that, that pulls them back. And it's more than just a setback. Like, you know, a setback is on my way to becoming financially stable or, uh, you know, creating this generational wealth or whatever. It could be, I made a bad investment. Uh, you know, uh, maybe I lost my job, like maybe like that's a setback. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking even like historically where like that setback was not something that simple. It was someone literally like tried to kill you or maybe did kill you. They burn your bank to the ground, you know, like so I started thinking like like that, that heavy. Uh, and then I think the other the other point that sort of comes to mind is. Uh, I was actually just reading this the other day. It was talking about, uh, uh, talking a little more about the sort of the uh, uh, racial wealth gap. And so there was a statistic that was showing that among many of our white counterparts, uh, so for, for many of them, if their family was in poverty, they have about a, maybe a two generation cycle of poverty. So many people, they they can sort of trace back and it might be like, okay, we could see like maybe two generations ago, this is like when our family was in poverty. And, you know, then this thing happened, maybe, you know, grandparents got this great job, something happened, and then parents were on the come up as well. So at the closest, there's maybe like a two generation, you know, sort of gap there where they can be like, we had this and, and then this happened. Now, you know, maybe if we're saying like maybe rural, whites that are rural and in poverty, that it might be a little bigger. Uh, but for many of our, uh, well, for many of us in terms of black people, that sort of two cycle, I'm sorry, two generation cycle uh, is much less. Like in, in fact, many of us, it sort of broke down to like, we are that one, uh, you know? So it's sort of like, for me, a setback, I mean, it, it could essentially be if I go to jail, like I could get bad grades, I could go to jail, you know, whatever it is. And I'm, and that's sort of like the huge setback, uh, you know, putting, putting us back into poverty or, or changing those options we have. So, so one of the things, one of the things that comes to mind is I wish they would maybe ask the question, uh, well, well, it's all white people in here and, and one, one black, black person, um, but just have a diverse room and everything. But I wish they would sort of go around and just ask, like, basically, how, if you would consider this, how long has your family been broke? Or when did your family stop being broke? If, you know, like to put it as simply as they could. And so I think it would be really interesting for them to really trace back. And, you know, many could say like, oh yeah, well, like my great, great grandparents came here and they had nothing. And, you know, maybe you're like, okay, that was like five generations ago or whatever. 
Uh, and then just to see, you know, maybe others being like, oh, well, I still consider us, you know, uh, working poor or, or basically I'm the one who broke that cycle. So I think something like that would really show, you know, uh, what we're, you know, what we're seeing there. Um, so I, I'm mentioning all of that and I'm like, at the simplest, no, you got to do more than believe, or it's got to be more than just belief. You have to believe, yes, but that's not the reason, you know, many people are being kept in poverty or, uh, or different, different situations, uh, especially when we break down the statistics of, um, from generational wealth to those sort of cycles of poverty and not just speed bumps along the way, but things that have intentionally pulled, you know, pulled the person down who's on their way. Juan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shane. Hey, there you I'll go. take it from there. Well, one thing I want to do before I go into my comments is just acknowledge the, the truth of what he's saying that, you know, to have a father who was an orphan and then kind of like laid out his struggles for you, it does, I, I can see how that would set you up to take on those same limitations or whatever perceived limitations you get from, from, from that experience. One thing I think when, when you were saying, you know, you should, you would ask them, you know, about their great, great grandparents or whatever. And I was thinking like, yeah. And then after they tell you about their great, great grandparents, I just be like, you could also be like, oh yeah, my great, great grandparents were slaves. <laughs> and then just, you know, leave that there. Yeah. Um, my great, great grandparents were slaves. So were their kids. And then they were free. What were your great, great grandparents doing at the time? Not being slaves. Okay, got you. Because um, it, it's 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 really not that far. I, I we're really not that far as far removed from slavery as people like to think. And even we're not talking about slavery, but just like segregation. People talking about man, why are you always like get over your ancestors' struggle? I'm like, what are you talking about my ancestors? Where my mom? What are you talking about? My mom was born in the colored section of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like they were born and my mother was born in the Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. 1964. All right. And yeah, we're not that far removed. And I, was, and, and I think it was perfect that you brought up Tulsa and uh, the massacre, the, the, the bombing of, of Black Wall Street, because clearly people, we, we believe, the Black people there believed in themselves. And, and, what, and what did they come up against? It wasn't a lack of belief. Mm -hmm. They came up against racism. Because there was, there was a wealth gap, but it was flipped. The reason they were, were bombed was because with the, the, poor white people that were close to them got jealous and they used uh, I guess all they needed was one excuse mm -hmm. because the excuse was and they said that a, a boy a little black boy had attacked this girl in an elevator and what happened was the, the elevator was full had a lot of people on it. He was carrying a heavy load. And then I think he, he may have actually like slipped and like maybe bumped her. Or maybe he did like step on her toe, but I'm just like. And so their response was to kill 300 people 
and to destroy an entire town. And then after that, there was no retribution. There, was, there were no consequences for, for their actions. Same as today, where black people get killed and there's no, no consequence, no justice served. And even if this man did have to deal with breaking through the barriers of his father's upbringing, I mean, that's just, I'm like, dog, that's one generation. Like, we, we got 400 years on you, fam. Like, not that I'm trying to compete. I, I don't, I'm not glad that we're more oppressed. I'm just saying, like, this is, this is the fact. Like, and the, like, Tulsa was bombed, not because of lack of belief, but because of racism. The reason that there's a wealth gap is because of racism. And, like, it doesn't matter what you believe. If your community's redlined, then you're redlined and you're not going to get that loan. And they're not going to give you that mortgage. They're, they're all, there will always, now I will say there always will be exceptions and exceptions to the rule. But whenever, when, but white people have always used the black exceptions as proof of the rule. They, the exceptions to the rule for black people are the proof for, for white people. Like, oh, well, you know, if Obama can do it, I mean... <laughs> Why hasn't every black boy been president? Or if Oprah's a billionaire, why are you all billionaires? You know, when it's the same, it's not, it's not true for, for, for white people. Like, you don't have to be like, you know, if Bill Gates is a, is a billionaire, why aren't all y'all billionaires? You know? Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, we, don't get, we don't get that. Um, so, yeah, continuing on. But yeah, I did want to say, I, I, I like that they brought up Brene Brown because I know Brene Brown, she is a fellow social worker. And I think on her podcast, she recently had, and by recently, I mean like earlier this year, she had Dr. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi explaining his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And this, I'm pretty sure this video was recorded before then, but I mean, if they're, if they're listening to Dr. Brene Brown, then they're getting some good stuff. But moving on. Couldn't identify with the story I did not know. So it required me to reach beyond my story, to reach beyond my experience. And if I only settled for what I knew, and if I just kept arguing for it's this way because, because, because I would be right. One last thing. Uh, Another reason, like if, I don't know if when I'm going to post this video, but I keep rolling my eyes is because he is in a very nice, polite sounding way saying black people is your fault. Mm-hmm. Like it's an internal struggle. So if the major, so yeah, he's, he's acknowledging that oh, there's just these, there's these external factors and then the internal factors, but these, the ex, the, the ex, the internal factors is like 90% of the problem. And he keeps saying, in, in a nice way, he's saying the reason behind the wealth gap is black people themselves. And I don't like that. And I mean, it took me a while to, to change my thinking around that, but because of my training, because of my education, because of the, the reading I've done on my own, like, because I have, you know, I will say woken up to it. It is like impossible for me to, to not hear. And it's like nails on a chalkboard. <sighs> yeah. And, and, and it makes me think of the, the thing of like, I think I said it earlier where like, I mean, two things can be true at the same time. And it's like, cause I mean, like you truly can, like there truly can be someone who they're like, uh, I don't think I can make it. I don't think I can make it. 
And when their reasoning is, you know, I don't think I can make it because this person had to jump through like two hoops to get there. I have to jump through 17. I don't think I can make it. So that person, it, it could be, you know, that could be true. They are like, you know, I have, I have excuses and reasons for not making it. Uh, and it's because like they have 17, 30 hoops to jump through when somebody else has two. Uh, you know, the other thing is, the other thing that's true is those hoops exist. And, and yeah, I think he's more so attacking why you're not wanting to jump through the hoops uh, as opposed to like, why do these hoops exist? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Say that, Shannon. Cool. You good to keep going? Yeah, yeah. All right. Right. And also, it would not help me. You know, also, it would not help me. And I'm talking about chance. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about me. You know, and everybody's at different places. But I know that we must bust through what's written here Mm. and recode it. And I'll just add another layer. All the thinking that we're doing, all the believing, all the arguing, all the analyzing, it's all from here. It's all front of my prefrontal cortex. Also, sorry, that was really fast. So he keeps talking about rewriting the coding. So I think he's also approaching this situation or this conversation as if, well, just unaware of the fact that, well, yes, we probably do all have some negative recoding to negative coding to undo that there's there's way more negative coding coming towards black people about themselves than there is white people and i can't think of any negative coding from like a societal standpoint or from media that that comes to white people about white people like whenever, like you can always tell the race of of the perpetrator of a crime because if it's a black person, they're going to tell you it's a black person. And if they don't tell you, then you know that person's white. And so you just continue to have this picture reinforced of uh, of criminals being, you know, being people of color, being no good, being lazy. And I mean, you can insert whatever other negative stereotype you see because it's, it's been, you know, it's been programmed into us before we were even aware that we were being programmed. And I don't like, you can tell that I'm like, he's like, I know the brain. I was like, yeah, you know the brain, but you don't know society, bro. Mm-hmm. That's one, that's one reason why, you know, I, I wanted to be a social worker and not so much uh, a, a psychiatrist or a, or um, yeah, a psychologist, because I think those you do those people do great work, and it's possible for psychologists to be aware of their societal context. I had the privilege uh, of working with those people in one of my internships, but it's like this guy, he seems like one of those people like he he read those psychology books and he just took all of that as as scripture oh dang I'm in my life. as scripture <laughs> and has said okay this this is this is my true guy everything about the about the brain not only tells me about the i don't i i don't know i he's basically said i don't just know about the brain but because i know about the brain i also know about the world and i think what you should we shouldn't learn about you know anatomy physiology physiology 
and how our brain works, our brains work, but you also have to know how the world affects how your brain works. And I like to, I think, you know, it's also part of being American. I think that we like to think that we're bigger and stronger than outside forces. And yes, we all are unique and we're all special, but we're not that special that we can be, that we can exempt ourselves from being subject to powerful societal forces that have been in operation literally for centuries. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, and even there's a little slice of, uh, even if it's not, I guess what you're blatantly seeing, I think there's also like the slice of masculinity there as well. Cause I think like, you know, as a, like one, yeah, as a, as Americans, yeah, we ha- we have that feeling of, yeah, we're we're, we're great and, and this and that, uh, and even if it's not even like because of nationalism, it's just like, you know, our whole like upbringing has been this sort of thing of exceptionalism, uh, and then of course on top of that, you know, on top of that, there's that piece of masculinity as well, where it's like you have to do well, you have to make a lot of money, uh, you you know, so therefore you're thinking. I can overcome these things. And so uh, if I can't overcome these things, if I'm, yeah, if I can't do that, then it's a, it's a piece of me not being, I don't know, I guess manly enough or something is, you know, I, I feel like there's like an intersection there of masculinity as well, where it's sort of, you're like really, really seeing that. But Good point. Cool. So, okay, I'm gonna try real hard to let this man talk for more than 30 seconds. But here we But the part of the brain that I'm talking about is that automatic part of the brain that tells your heart to breathe, I mean, tell, that tells your heart to beat, your lungs to breathe, uh, regulates your red blood count and all that stuff. In that same part of the brain is where your identity is held. So it's automatic. I am this, I am this, and we have to reprogram that. I think the, the, the layer below that, because I, I agree with that, the layer below that is our identity, whether we, I think the chief Western myth is that our identity is a singular entity. Mm-hmm. The reality is we are co-regulated with other people. Our only identity is who we are in relation to the people around us. That's what's made social media such an, a demon. Because it used to be we only were in relation to our small little group of people that we hung out with, our little neighborhoods, our little schools. And we kind of knew the pecking order. That guy's fast. She's beautiful. He's weird. She's smart, right? That was the gang. Mm-hmm. Now there's never a time I can't pull up my box and find somebody in the world that's better looking than me, richer than me, putting it out there. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge is, is when I, I, I get what you're saying, it's, I feel like it's dangerous ground. Because the dangerous ground is, I know that my amygdala is always scanning the environment for things that have happened to me before, traumas I had when I was a kid, and it's trying to protect me, and for places I'm not safe, right? Where am I disconnected? Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking, am I, am I in, right? We can even, when we're given an answer, I can feel him being like, oh, dude, I don't like that answer, right? We're just wired that way, right? <laughs> we're wired that way. To say, if you would just bust through, man, you know what I mean? I have to own that a big chunk of who Anthony believes in himself is how 
we have created an ecosystem to say you belong or not. Does that make sense? Let me ask y'all this question. Because I come. All right. Before somebody ruins it, I just want to give props to that brother. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was hoping that somebody was going to push back like that. So, so I'm glad I did. Like, I don't really like right now. I don't have nothing to add. Uh, like I've already stopped it a lot. Well, Shannon, you got anything? Nah, nah, just, uh, the, the only, the only thing that, that sort of pops in, I'm, is we just because I, I do like a lot of work with like, uh, what, what would be considered like toxic masculinity as well. And I mean, there are aspects of this. I just, I mean, now someone else is talking so cool, but I was just like w noticing like the amount of space that the guy took up as well. Uh, and I mean, I, I said like in terms of like his, I guess I would say like verbal space um, and not the one who just talked, but I'm sorry, I forgot his name already, but the one in the blue shirt that started talking about the psychology of it and everything. Um, but anyway, just, just, just wondering, because now I'm sort of wondering, uh, even on a smaller level, the the men in the room how much space are they taking compared to like will the woman in the room will she get to say much uh obviously you know there's a there's a balance there because she could be like uh, i'm not as comfortable or it could be like you know the different cues and things we we pick up on on like this is what like now i can jump in the conversation um so um, i was a psychology major in college so this <laughs> so some of that is sort of like coming through now and uh and no i do not believe like the guy in the blue shirt <laughs> Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I'm I'm just I've been just so keenly, vigilantly waiting for someone to push back at what he's saying that I wasn't tracking like, who was saying what. Uh, definitely not in terms of gender, um, but I do. Yeah, I think that's a you know interesting dynamic to mm -hmm. to bring up, and especially because we have it paused at. I don't know why is it being weird. Yeah. I think is that thirteen forty four? I think yeah. something like that. Yeah, we like around. So yeah, thirteen forty something, fifty something, and the frame that we have it on, like we have blue shirt, Mister Blue shirt on the left, and there's a woman on his right, and he looks very calm and comfortable. She like the way her lips are pursed. And the way her arms are like, she's got a, his arms are on top of the table. His hands are clasped on top of the table. Hers are under. And so she looks uncomfortable to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I would have noticed that had you not brought it up. But yeah, because I think it also came across, we, like we saw it recently. And I don't know how recently it's going to be when this posts. But so in, with the, the vice presidential debates, like there was points when I was like, when, uh, when Vice President Pence kept interrupting Senator Harris. And I was like, why don't you say something? Say something. And I think that is part of, not I think, I know, because people have, women have let me know. And they, it's definitely, we're sounding off on social media that, that yo, this is part of being a woman. Mm -hmm. um, when, uh, when you are sitting across from a white man who is very confident in himself, sharing information that you that you disagree with because there's just like a double mind of saying something because you're, you know, pretty much damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think if, if that's the case, like I hope they do say something because I mean, we're like 13 minutes in this video is only 19 minutes and they haven't spoken much. Mm -hmm. They haven't spoken much at all. And I mean, 
Yeah, it looks because I mean, like you're usually only uncomfortable when you disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I hope I wish they would wish they would uh, say more. And if they don't, then, then I mean, I mean, uh, we're, we're, I'm talking specifically about this. This conversation is focused specifically on racism, but this is just, you know, another issue with our society. Yeah, we're going to keep it going. Hopefully we'll get some more good conversation but i do but i must say before we before we you know maybe finish the video this is much better than i thought it was going to be like i was i thought this was going to be trash <laughs> i thought that um yeah based off of the first video i shared of uh anthony o'neill's uh what i thought was a unsatisfactory appraisal of the the whole situation surrounding george floyd and the ensuing protests uh, this was much better than I was, much better than I was expecting. Because um, I, I pretty much thought, like, after that brother said what he said, after, after Blue Shirt said what he said, I thought Anthony O'Neill was just about to be, like, jumping, like, yeah, man, that's what we trying to tell black folks. <laughs> but we haven't gotten that yet. So things are going okay. All right. Let's keep it moving. Conversation just went deep, <laughs> which I appreciate you for doing that. Yeah, I know. I appreciate because I still have questions, and I'm gonna bring you back on the show to yeah, talk about into it because that's where I can help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can help there. I, I can, I can, because you're it's like my dad said something to me a while back, and he was like, Son, he said something to me, and it baffled me. He said, I'm rich. I was like, You're rich. I was like, yeah, because back in the days, rich from us is we had a home, we had a car, and we were alive. Because mm-hmm. I like, so today, I'm rich. Like, I'm rich. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at him like, you're not, you're not. Mm-hmm. But it's in his brain because he grew up with 18 siblings in one house in a three-bedroom home, and they had a car. And he graduated from high school. I think only like five of my aunts and uncles graduated. All, the ladies were married at 12, 13. Wow. Wow. Never finished high school. My grandmother never finished high school. My granddad never finished high school. Several of my aunts never finished high school. And so his thing is like, I went to the military. I got a house. I got retirement. I'm rich. That's programmed in his head. Mm-hmm. He did that. So I get what you're saying. But it's like... How? How did he do that? How did he inject himself into an 18 sibling family? And basically, he didn't say so, but how did he inject himself into poverty? Yeah. And inject himself into a context in which, like, you know, I'm, I'm well off. And um, inject himself into a context that would have him thinking that the situation that Anthony O'Neill described is rich, like saying that he made it. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean... I- and and this sort of this sort of does bring the question of like when even as he's talking about the mindset so much there's still a societal thing that sort of says you're rich you're not rich you're wealthy you're not wealthy so right. so even when we put it in our minds because uh, because honestly like i think i'm doing well in life like i know i'm not rich i know i'm not wealthy because because uh, well i'll say this because i believe I think I do sort of think on, okay, on the societal level, if you're rich, my thought would be you're making X amount, hundred thousands or something, you know, something like that. Uh, 
and you know have all these things i would think wealthy means i'm owning multiple businesses and have all these different streams of income probably have a a larger house a yacht you know you know stuff like that so Mm -hmm. i think there is of course this societal thing of like rich versus wealthy Uh, i don't quite think there's a number because i mean obviously it would depend because if you make five hundred thousand dollars that might be considered you know rich uh you know, you have one kid, but if you have 30 kids, maybe 500,000 is not, you know, uh, rich. But so it is interesting because, yeah, society has that thing. There might not be an exact number, but there's something society says, like, basically, if you have this, make this much, whatever, this is considered rich, this is considered wealthy. Um, but then, yeah, even in our minds, we can we can make it up like, yo, like, I'm doing well. Like, I have, you know, even if it's like, I don't make a lot of money, but I have a house that's paid for. I have a car that's paid for. Uh, we are doing okay. Like nobody's starving here. Um, and let's just say maybe you're, maybe you're, who knows? Maybe you're, it's like you make $42,000. And that's, uh, you know, obviously like there's no shot at anybody who does like, cause you can, you can live well off that uh, depending where you, you know, where you are and everything. But society would not say you're rich, I believe, based off the number of, I make $42,000 if someone were to say that, but his dad has put it in his mind. He's like, I'm rich, which I think for the goals, you know, because we have different, different goals and everything like that. I mean, his dad has achieved it, you know, uh, in his dad's mind, his dad is not saying I need a million dollars to be like, I'm rich. Like rich is I'm assuming comfortable, has a house, has a car. Um, I mean, his son is Anthony here, so he has a, he has at least a, a son that's doing all right, uh, you know, doing pretty well in life. Uh, I don't know how many siblings and things like that, but, you know, I'm assuming his kids are doing okay. So his dad's mindset is he's rich, but society would definitely say, you know, I don't know how much his dad makes, but, you know, society would be like, you're probably not, though, you know? Yeah, I, I, do, th- I do think it was weird that they just decided that his dad was wrong about his <laughs> Because I always think of wealth as, you know, kind of a more of a personal, more of an individualized uh, state of being, I guess. I I do think there's probably, you know, certain standards, like you said, like based off of like your number of kids, there's a certain amount of money you probably do need to be making just to be just one, just to be making it and then to be comfortable and then to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. However, there is still there's, there's still room for that. I mean, it sounded like his dad was okay with it. Uh, but this, I, <laughs> I guess we've arrived at the point in the video that I was like scared of. So like Mr. Blue shirt is looking very pleased with himself as Anthony O'Neill seems to be agreeing with everything that he's, that he's laid out, but oh well, mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't really expecting much more. But we still got a few minutes left, so let's finish this thing out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was also programmed in his head because at the same time he was a, it was what do they call it, cotton picker, mm-hmm. by a white man, mm-hmm. and that's what my family is. My grandmother did, mm-hmm. and so it was like, oh, it was also programmed in his head because at the same time he was a, it was what do they call it, cotton picker, mm-hmm. by a white man, mm-hmm. and. That's what my family is, my grandmother did. Mm. And so it was like, also I feel part of that was planted in his head. 100%. 
So it's like, it's hard for him to believe otherwise because that's all that That he, was the experience. Right. That's what he saw. That right. was the story. Yeah. 100%. And that's where, that's where, where? that's where it's so layered and complicated. Like yeah. that's true. That's real. I see. But some people allow that to define them. Right. And other people say I'm rich. Mm. I see what you mean. You know? Yeah. And, and that's Help me, I'm still not getting it. Because I mean, I thank you, sir. I'm also not getting it. Yeah. I'm just going to let it keep playing though. Yeah, I was like, I really appreciate that honesty because I think a lot of people, it's, it's like that thing in class when it's like, you're like, I don't really know what they're talking about, but uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because he seems to think, I was like, you seem to think you've made your point, but I ain't with you. Yeah, yeah. This is like, no, I don't get what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, what's this guy in plaid? So I, I appreciate you, Mr. Flannel. Mm-hmm. And again, he's the only, like, there's another, there's another man there, but I think probably because he's younger. He's mm. just like, mm. not saying anything. And like we said already, like the two women been very silent it seems to be like a almost a one-on-one conversation mm. well a three-man conversation yeah because the younger guy hasn't said much either mm-hmm. i feel like the other guy who has been the one kind of like pushing back is like really trying to give this guy a chance yeah to be he like just keeps digging himself deeper <laughs> it's like bro i'm trying to help you <laughs> yeah like i'm trying to understand i'm really am trying to understand what you're saying okay here we go three more minutes almost less yeah Three more minutes. I see what he's saying because you know how many times I've been called uh, an inappropriate name. Yep. But I refuse to call myself that inappropriate name. Thank mm-hmm. you. I, how many times I've been denied something because of my skin color, but I've never told myself I will always get denied. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what he's saying. Yes, it's like, sir. The things that that you experience. Okay, before he even goes to his explanation, so I'm just like he just said that he was how he he's been in experiences where he was denied something because of his skin color, and that is something that white people never have to worry about. But he's not. But the. Uh, blue shirt is not acknowledging that he's just like yeah man it's your self-programming and it's like yeah well let's say it is self-programming there's some reprogramming like i said earlier that white people don't have to go through Mm. and nobody's mentioned he hasn't mentioned racism at all he's just talking about yourself you're thinking your belief you're reprogramming yeah but but it's and it's tough because it, it feels like uh uh, so Anthony, he's saying the things like these are like things I've been denied this because of my skin color. I've been called this name, which, you know, we can uh, we can all make a safe assumption as to what that name is. He's referring to because of my skin color and these things. And 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 I get it. that Yeah, his mindset has been. Yeah, uh, they did that this time. But, you know, I'm going to work harder or I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to apply for another loan or or do whatever. Uh, I'm not going to be like, this is never going, I'm never going to succeed in this. So I get that. But I, it just, it has me like, huh, because the guy in the blue, he's like, he's like a green, but it's making the point. Like, yes, mindset, but you're agreeing that these obstacles exist and you're just steadily agreeing. You're like, yep, yep. And so, yeah, your mindset has to push you past those. But it's like, once again, why are the obstacles there, you know, in the first place? Uh, and, you know, not just the regular obstacles, because I believe everyone should like work hard to get great things and stuff like that. But it's just it's just sort of ridiculous when it's like, you know, somebody has to give 
80% and somebody else has to give 190%, like, uh, you know, to get there. Uh, and, and also this just sort of makes me laugh because it, it feels a little bit, it, it reminds me some of uh, the RNC convention, uh, the Republican National Convention, when I cannot remember the, um, the woman's name, but I believe she may have been, uh, I'm not sure if she was a senator or what, but I remember she was, she was speaking saying that like, you know, this systematic racism and these things, they don't exist in the U.S. And so when my parents came here, they were denied things because of their race and they, and they didn't let it stop them and they worked hard and this and that. And I'm like, wait, 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 you literally said in the same sentence, systematic racism and all this does not exist, uh, you know, and, and like, we're such a great America. But yet you said when my parents came here, they were denied these things because of their race. And, you know, and I'm like, that's it. That's systematic racism <laughs> or systemic racism right there. <laughs> so anyway, it just makes me laugh and think of that because I'm like, you're saying push past it, do these things, but at the same time, you're acknowledging they exist, like acknowledge that they exist. Yeah. And I think, again, if you were saying maybe more specific, and I, thought, I don't think he can be specific. He's shown that he can't be specific about push past what though? Mm-hmm. You're pushing past this unfortunate experience, an isolated unfortunate experience that your father had. I have to push past racism that yeah, it seems there's a disconnect there. He's clearly, clearly missing it. All right. Let's see what they have. The last few things they got to say. Shouldn't, you shouldn't accept it. But it is, and I get what you're saying, but it's also hard when we're always hitting that wall. And I agree with that. So, so with how that. do we go from right, like yes, a situation like you, mm-hmm. like with your dad that graduated high school? Mm-hmm. And then to you being successful, mm-hmm. how do we, you know, like, how does that happen more often? It's yeah. like, I, I think too, question. it's like, it's what we see. Um, I work in environmental science and the science as a discipline has no black people, mm-hmm. uh, no people of color, hardly at all. And it's like, if you're not seeing that, how are you wanting to aspire to that? Mm-hmm. It's like, if I didn't, I didn't know what like geology was like, right. of course, like, why would I just magically pop into my brain that I want to study rocks, you know? I, I think exactly what you all said earlier. You know, it's, you got invited to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say this in, a, in an easy way. Um, part of my success is because of a white man that brought me to the table mm-hmm. and gave me an opportunity to use my gifts as a black mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. And he wasn't ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that needs to happen way more out there. And it wasn't easy for Dave. And it wasn't easy for me. It was a growing cultural experience on both sides that, like what John said earlier, both had to kind of step back and be like, all right, how are we going to adjust to this? So Mm -hmm. I I agree with that one. Let me ask you this. And, and don't say any names because we don't want to be offensive to your, your, your family members or friends. Will you say that your family and friends, if you all are at, the, at, at a dinner table, it's just you all and Black Lives Matter come up, do the majority of your friends think the same way you're thinking right now? Okay. 
So I guess that's the end of the video. They hit us with a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. I guess this was part two of a panel because it said the next part was part three. Three, yeah. Maybe I'll do the next. I'll watch that next video to see their responses. <laughs> but really, like I said earlier, I was only watching this video at all because my cousin Joey asked me what I what, what I thought about it, and I was like, the only reason, the only way I'm gonna watch this is one. It's kind of like like when. You don't want to watch like a horror movie by yourself. Mm. I was like, I ain't watching this alone. So yeah. I, I I pulled Shannon in this, but I mean, I don't think you have to watch another movie to to get to see where the panel, well, at least where those two guys and Anthony O'Neill, well, stand on it. Um, well, one, I think this is good because at first I was I was expecting this whole video to be trash, and I think this. So social media, especially after watching the documentary Social Dilemma, mm. social media and just the actual like the news media is so sensationalized that pretty much and, and it's, it's so polarized us that you just expect someone who disagrees with you to disagree with you like on every single level. And what I do appreciate about this video is that it showed um, nuance to, to people's to people's understanding and it's like even though I, I disagree with like the gentleman in the blue shirt I don't think he's a I don't think he's a lost cause and I definitely wouldn't like just completely write him off I just think he's like you know how I used to be he's feels very strongly about his opinion about his his uh, his worldview and his understanding of how things work and just needs you know a little bit more education by education. I don't mean like formal education. You just need to come into more, more knowledge and understanding because I feel like, and I'm going to uh, let you all know. I'm going to, I'm going to list off the, some of the resources or list off some information that, from a, a racial equity workshop that I was uh, a part of. And it just goes to show you, like if he, if he knew these facts, I don't think he'd be talking about how it's more about your mind because Throughout all of American history, there have been systemic, well, there, there's been systemic racism for, for black people and people of color, while at the same time, there has been systemic advantage put in place for white people. And I think that's another piece of the puzzle that they weren't considering because, I mean, for, for, for there to be oppression, for someone to be oppressed, that means or for someone to be privileged. If you're privileged, then that means someone's being oppressed. And if I'm oppressed, that means somebody's stepping on me to, to go higher in life. And so this, so racism, systemic racism exists and not only exists alongside, but is necessary to have and was, and, and was instituted so that there could be systemic advantage for for white people, particularly white men. And, and like the, the more we sort of this, you know, discuss this and, and, and look at it, I'm like, I'm, I'm sure like there, there are some, some listeners out there, uh, you know, who, who are white, who maybe this could be something. Uh, and even, if, even if they're not listeners, just, you know, anyone with an earshot, maybe like huh you know this makes me a little angry like you're trying to say the things i have i haven't earned and this and that i, I worked hard and um 
and we get it. Sure. Like everybody has worked to some extent, you know, uh, for the things that they have. And for me, I, I think the biggest point that I just want people to sort of have um, is like, these things have, have happened. Uh, like, yes, in the future, hoping, you know, reparations of, of some sort. But for now, um, if you are someone and you know, you know, you have this privilege at this point is really, it's not, it's not for you to feel sad and upset because we know like anger and anxiousness and all of this stuff, it, and guilt, it doesn't do anything. Like you're not going to do anything with guilt. You're just going to feel bad and then that's it. So, um, so I'm like, if you have this privilege and everything, we want you to use it. He mentioned how Dave Ramsey, he didn't say it in these words, but Dave Ramsey used his privilege uh, to help bring on Anthony. And so Anthony is doing these things, you know, uh, being able to be on these shows. And uh, I'm sure his message has gone further maybe than it would have had he not been able to link up with uh, with Dave Ramsey. So, so like for me, the simplest thing is if you are someone on uh, why you know whatever it may be and you have these privileges like it's easy to see we look back we had a we had a huge house coming up we had a lot of money like dad worked at this place mom did this we went to an, an amazing school uh i went to you know whatever i got my doctorate you know all of this type of stuff just use your privilege to try to help others like that's the biggest thing like I'm mad at the system. I'm not mad at you, but so much for having the privilege. I think as long as you recognize that, you know, now if you're someone who's denying it, then yeah, I'm mad at you. Yes. You talking to you, whoever that is, <laughs> but, but like truly I would say at this point, like be sure, like use your privilege. And it's like, you know, if you are someone you have, um, you know, throughout life, uh, parents had a great job, high paying this and that, and now you're in a position to hire people, look for minority candidates. And that's, you know, along race, along gender, whatever it might be. Uh, if you're someone who, uh, you know, you, uh, you are a celebrity or whatever it might be, uh, you know, use your privilege to, you know, to help in, in that sense. So uh, just one thing comes to mind, there was someone who, uh, he's a celebrity and he was, he was talking about privilege and he was saying, because of me being a celebrity, um, there's this, there's essentially this, um, this restaurant that like, uh, because it sort of sponsors me or whatever, it allows me to have like a party up to a hundred people at like no cost. Like I get to do that like once every, every couple months or something like that, but like no cost, a party up to a hundred people. So he's like, what I do to use my privilege I've used that to to basically throw a party for the unhoused or, you know, something like that. So that's literally using his privilege. It doesn't cost him anything. That's just a perk. So that's not even him being like, oh, I'm going to donate my house or I'm going to, you know, give all this money. That's literally a perk that comes from his privilege. Uh, so, you know, I would say look for those things that you have, those perks, those privileges, and how can they help others uh, that have not been able to, you know, uh, afford or be a part of those privileges. Yeah, and I mean, I think the main point of this video was that, I mean, y'all, y'all know where we stood before, before we started watching and before we started talking about this. The cause of the racial wealth gap is racism. Mm -hmm. They did not agree in the video, but they did not do a good job of disproving that. So we win this imaginary debate. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that that's that's about it. I think we can just go ahead 
and do like we always do. Wait at it. We did it, guys. We made it to the end of this conversation. <sighs> I'm I'm proud of us. We 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 sat through. We we persevered. So yeah, I I want to congratulate you for making it this far. My main issue with what was being said here, I believe I may have said it in the last episode, is that although he's being very nice and polite about it. Uh, Mr. Blue Shirt, I think his name is Chance. So what Chance is saying in a very nice way is something very, very dangerous. What he's saying is that, yeah, racism exists. And then, like we pointed out, he actually acknowledges uh, Anthony O'Neill's and his father's racist experiences. And then he immediately says, but that's not the problem. And what's dangerous about that is if racism is not the problem, then racism doesn't have to be solved. And we don't have to hold people accountable for their racist actions. We don't have to change systems so that they don't so that they stop having racially disparate outcomes because racism's not the problem. If racism is not the problem, then racism does not need to be stopped. And that is dangerous. That is false. That is a lie. Please tune in to the afterthoughts next week to hear the my thoughts my in-depth thoughts my granular thoughts on more specific pieces of of his argument it it hurt to listen to this again and i'm sure it hurt to listen for y'all to listen to as well but i think it's important for us to to hear these things and to be able to provide a defense for why we believe that justice is indeed part of the 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 gospel mission and why arguments like this are really baseless and weak and wrong. Uh, so with that, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for this platform. Thank you for saving the world. Lord God, thank you for giving us, for not for not just me, but all of our listeners. Lord God, thank you for giving us the, the awareness, for giving us the revelation that justice is part of the gospel justice is not just part of the gospel it's part of who you are it is your character lord god so help, help us lord god empower us lord first to see to see our own sin to, to lament and repent of our own sin father god and help us to you know get the 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 moat out of our eye before we try to remove or, or correct the wrongs in others and in society and when we do so help us to do so rightly help us to do so led by your holy spirit and help us to be motivated uh, not by anger or what we uh, hope hope to gain but out of a sincere genuine desire to see your justice and righteousness spread throughout all of the earth we thank you, Lord God, and we pray this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, that does it, folks. Until next time, y'all know what to do. Keep the faith and stay woke.